Hey, what's up? I'm Jess Grace Garcia. I'm a filmmaker, worship pastor, music producer. And the more and more that we do this podcast, I realize how little education I actually got in church history and in Bible. And it is a little annoying, uh, especially with our topic today, because (laughs) the first time we ever discussed this topic, I was like, wow, I've got so much to learn. <laughs> so, so that's me. And you are? I'm Jack Bates, drag queen, theologian, comedian. And I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. <laughs> You're pretty cool. You're pretty cool. I love that you, you could be mom and dad at the same time. It's like awesome. Yeah, I'll both bake cookies and buy you your first sex toy. both things i've done for people in our friend group (laughs) a hundred percent a hundred percent my favorite is when people in our friend group like um and in like in our little small community that we help lead when they like hit me up and they're like hey dad guess what i had a threesome and i'm like oh good job son (laughs) that is my favorite (laughs) that's great um yeah it it really warms my heart when it when like it's a totally different subject but it really warms my heart whenever people in our community call me dad and i'm sure it feels the good to you when they call you mom oh yeah i mean it was mother's day not that long ago and a few of them wished me happy mother's day and i just thought that was so sweet and i reminded them because i was a good dad oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) that sort of thing means a lot to me because I feel like it comes out of our commitment to chosen family. Yeah. Like mothers can look like lots of things and sometimes they can have lots of body hair. Some mothers out there, more body hair than I do. Mm-hmm. In, even in churches, sometimes especially in churches, Mother's Day is aggressively gendered. But people of any gender can do the work of mothering. Like whatever that is in your cultural context. Yeah, for sure. I feel like the only times that I reference to myself as mom is if I am doing that, like all of my, the first 30 years of my life, I felt like I was always the mama bear of the group. Mm -hmm. Like I was always the one that was the sober driver, was the one that was making sure (laughs) that the very not sober people were getting home safely um, or being safe in in at the bars or whatever it was Uh you know what i mean um that's the only time that i seem to reference to myself as like mama bear um but i've found in like my interactions with um basically my my wife and girlfriend and our animals is um basically like i like to be called dad or daddy in those situations Mm -hmm. and uh, my my wife is still um like adjusting to that because that's become kind of a new a new thing. Uh-huh. Um, she's like, daddy is so inherently sexual though. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I wish it wasn't. Cause I like it. I, I, I feel like so many non-binary and genderqueer and trans folks like go through this, like, but what will they call me? And especially queer folks in general, right? Like, mm-hmm. is it going to be like mommy a and mommy, you know, mommy E like, what is it going to be? You know? 
and um and and i'm like i don't really they like enjoy the term um mommy and so we've tried Mm. lots of people try different languages and and i'm just not like i've tried different things i'm not a fan it just rings really true to me to be called daddy it's just hard when you identify as she her and as a woman but you're genderqueer and it's just complicated (laughs) yeah i get that sometimes i feel really conflicted with my own son calling me daddy because like yeah man also like sometimes not man asterisk yeah i wish there were like a good gender neutral name for parent that's also affectionate yes but i just don't think there is yeah it's if that if it does exist it exists in a different language Mm. anyway (laughs) (laughs) well i think we right off the bat started talking about moms so what is our subject for today jack i thought it'd be fun to talk about mary the mother of jesus like you're talking about church history she's had such a huge influence on lots of different kinds of christianity over the years i think it'd be interesting slash important to talk about her yeah for sure um it's interesting because my mom grew up catholic and my um my understanding of uh of the Virgin Mary or the mother Mary uh, was very simply from her perspective. Mm -hmm. And, um, and my mom didn't have a great experience with the Catholic church. Mm. And so, um, and she went into evangelicalism, right? So like there was just a lot of disconnect and I never really, I was also raised um, thinking that Catholics weren't really Christian. Um, And Mm. I saw Mary as someone that was worshiped as an idol in some ways. And so I didn't have much other like understanding about who Mary was outside of that. Uh, Cause they definitely didn't focus on her as the badass that she is um, in this very male dominated, you know, religion because <laughs> evangelicalism is its own things, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel like in a lot of Protestant circles that Mary her importance is de-emphasized partly as a reaction against Catholicism, partly also just straight up sexism, like you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. So when you were raised, did you also have a de-emphasis on Mary? Oh yeah. She was almost never talked about. What got you intrigued by Mary? In my studies in seminary and theology school, I got to study church history more and more and she's everywhere in the writings of early church mothers and fathers. And at first it took me by surprise, like, Oh, I'm not used to this emphasis on Mary. And I had been raised with like a lot of skepticism toward the Catholic church. Also I'd associated Mary and devotion, devotion to Mary with the Catholic church and like, Oh, it's not really something that we Protestants do, but I saw that like way before the Protestant reformation in the 16th century, like everybody was talking about Mary. Like there's something about Mary in the first, all the years of the church. (laughs) Something about Mary. (laughs) There's something about Mary part two. And it's like nothing to do with that movie. (laughs) 
all Marian devotion all the time. <laughs> and so I, I came I came to love the a lot of the theology of the early church and viewed it as our common heritage, like whatever kind of Christian you are, like before the before Christianity splintered, all of that kind of like belongs to all of us. And with so much emphasis being put on Mary, I thought like, okay, this is part of my history too. Mm. I need to figure out what to do with it. And at the same time, I was also on a path toward more like liturgical, uh, more like they call it high church liturgical, like lots of smells and bells and, you know, <laughs> black maxi dresses and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just a fashion, <laughs> obviously. It's <is> a fashion. <laughs> um, and so those were kind of happening at the same time. And so there were these two parallel movements in my life, like one sort of academic side and one of them like kind of personal, spiritual, devotional side. They were both pushing me towards reevaluating Mary and giving her more of a place in my like theology and spiritual practice. That's really cool. I feel like we met after a lot of that processing had happened mm -hmm. for you. Cause, um, I remember the first time that you brought up Mary in a group, um, conversation and I was like, Oh, I've got nothing to offer here. Um, which was honestly kind of good. Something I found in my deconstruction process is that if I don't know the story, then I don't come to it with a preconceived idea of mm. what the purpose of that story was, like what I'm supposed mm. to have learned from it. So I don't have to undo any brainwashing. <laughs> so I can start like right now, like in this, in this more affirming theological brain space uh -huh. where I, where I exist now. And so when we first talked about it, um, I remember, uh, I think that we like broke down the like, Mary's song. Oh yeah. The Magnificat in the early chapters of Luke. Yeah. And I had never read that before. I didn't even know it existed for some reason. And, um, in reading it, I just kept thinking like, damn, like Mary is a badass. <laughs> yeah, she is. Can we read it and like share it with the, with everyone? I think that that would be really cool. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, yeah, here it is. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Like, this does not sound like a meek woman. Mary fully said, eat the rich. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't know how you read that and don't think of Mary as a badass. And I think that's why it was so that she was so, so deeply de-emphasized. 
mm-hmm. um, in our, cause imagine having a badass strong woman like Mary actually honestly talked about in our upbringings. Like mm-hmm. imagine that, like it would even on its own would have affected me very differently. Right. Yeah. She presents a, a counterbalance and therefore kind of a threat to the kind of standard practice of just showing the strong male figures in the Bible. Well, yeah, it's, it's a manipulation. It's a manipulation for how they want um, young women to, and women in general to, um, to appear and to, um, to bow down, you know, and submit. Mm -hmm. Um, That was such a strong word that was brought up a lot growing up for me was, was you, you must submit. Um, And as a Dom, that just didn't work for me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. uh, So it, it makes sense to me that, that Mary was just, was, was taken away from us in that way. How do you see in, um, in church history, um, like you talked a little bit about how Mary was like super a part of the writings. Mm-hmm. Um, how were people inspired by Mary? A lot was done with both the Magnificat and Mary in the Annunciation. When the angel comes to her and says that she's going to have a child and that child is going to be the Messiah, she says to the angel, let it be done to me according to your word. And there you have the like the submissive side, but she was presented as a model for the faith of everyone, not just of women. Um, early Christian writers would say that that sort of submissive spirit is what men should have toward God as well. Mm. Like we're all subs. When God is our dom. <laughs> oh God! Our when we get quoted with is that, an awesome dom. No! <laughs> no, it's never gonna leave my head. You're welcome. <laughs> and this is one of the like gender bendy aspects of early Christian theology mm. that I love. That I don't love the strong emphasis of like submissiveness. Or the, I don't love the strong identification of submissiveness with femininity, mm-hmm. but they did talk about like in the encounter with God, like we're all, they would talk about it being feminized. Mm-hmm. And I love the opportunity that gives us to recapture that sort of idea without some of the like less progressive notions of femininity that went along with it. Like they weren't afraid that male Christian writers were not afraid to talk about themselves in feminine terms. And I think that that is healthy and something to be recaptured. Yeah, no, absolutely. Remember last time you and I talked about Mary, I talked about some of the ways that different like major traditions within Christianity thought about her and one of the things that was kind of new to uh, a lot of people in our friend group was that the catholic church teaches mary ever virgin that after jesus was born that mary and joseph had no other biological children 
And I was really into that idea at the time because it has like a, a pretty good pedigree in the history of Christian theology. But now I'm like, nah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I remember when you were suggesting that and I was like, that's, that's, that shit's crazy. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, I remember being taught the arguments against it in evangelicalism. Like, oh, look, this passage talks about uh, Jesus' brothers and sisters. Like, how could he have brothers and sisters if uh, Joseph and Mary had no other children? But it's a pretty poor argument because the the wording in scripture is uh, ambiguous enough that it could go lots of different ways. Like Jesus brothers and sisters could refer to Joseph's children from a previous marriage. Like it's believed that Joseph was quite a bit older than Mary, probably because he drops off in the gospels mm. by the time that Jesus commences his public ministry around 30. Mm-hmm. So like if, he dies when his son is 30. Like he might've had another family before Mm. or the brothers and sisters terminology could refer to more distant relations. Like sometimes cousins or more like distant family relations are talked about as brothers and sisters. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is that the, um, that there are other options. There are other possibilities that just because there was the term brother and sister doesn't mean that it was like a for sure thing. Yeah, I feel like the evangelical argumentation along those lines might have been motivated more by anti-Catholic sentiment than a desire to like actually stick close to the words of scripture. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so what do you not like about the idea of uh Mary having stayed a virgin for I think the rest I, of her life? that's what I was gonna transition to, so I appreciate that you asked that question. <laughs> um I think what I what I see happen a lot with the phrasing around virgin is um, I think the intention of the phrasing virgin was to talk about the miracle of Mm. of Jesus being, um, you know, like the product of 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 a virgin birth. Like, I think that was Mm -hmm. just the emphasis. Right. Yeah, the fact that Jesus was conceived of a virgin in and of itself is the miracle, right? And that's that's it, mm-hmm. right? I feel like that's where it's supposed to stop. But I feel like um, what the church decided to do was create a lot of emphasis around Mary's purity mm-hmm. as a virgin. And what is purity um, but the opposite of sex? And like, and like we must, you know, lessen our our desires and that this isn't in um inherently uh sinful like like desire um is inherently sinful so i feel like it's a slippery slope and um and so that's when i think of like this like her ever being a virgin like why like she just did the most badass thing and and then she's punished to never have sex and never get to like have like a awesome life like um of uh, and and get to have orgasms like come on <laughs> like she gave birth to god and now she can't have an orgasm like 
I'm sorry. I don't believe in that. I don't believe that God would want it, want that for mm. someone. Um, and so that's what bugs me about that. There's two separate things. First, the, 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 the bigger picture of like, of, of like bringing people down and shaming them for sexual desire. Mm. Um, and secondly, the intimate idea that Mary was not allowed an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, she might have masturbated, but still. I guess she could have had an orgasm that way, but I'm like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that our conservative Catholic listeners are not going to like that, but what conservative Catholic listeners? Right? <laughs> <laughs> we lost them a few after dark. Oh, ago. <laughs> for sure. And if they're still here, they're definitely not conservative and Catholic. Like they might be Catholic, but not conservative. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the second point is interesting. I've never really thought about that. I'm going to have to think about that more. Like, like doesn't the mother of God deserve uh full, sexual life like we wouldn't want to say that that's necessary for like living a full life yeah like we love our ace peeps we love our uh freely chosen celibate peeps mm -hmm. but the idea that because she bore the messiah because she bore god that that way of life was in some way compulsorily chosen for her yeah, like all of a really sudden she needs to be a nun. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think some some of the nuns that have chosen that way of life are like, and focused all of their energies in like building up amazing organizations and 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 uh, places for um, people that might be homeless or dealing with drug addiction or building businesses. Like. <laughs> There are some badass nuns out there, but they got mm -hmm. to choose that. Like the idea that it right. would be tied to like, oh, you're obligated now. You just had this. You just had the son of God. You just. You know, now this is this is what you have ahead of you. Mm -hmm. The end. That it, it supports the idea that the church or patriarchal society gets to choose for women what they. Do with their bodies and with their lives, and I don't like that. Yeah. Especially when you hear how badass she is. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't line up. I think the idea that like it would have been unfitting or like improper, or, like even sinful for Mary to have other children presents a, a weird sort of uh, account of the relationship between God and creation. Like, Okay, so Jesus came through Mary's birth canal, and therefore no, like, merely human children can follow after that. Like, I don't feel like that makes any sense at all. Uh, uh, analogy just suggested itself to me. We'll see if it goes anywhere. Um, like, Catholics and uh, a lot of mainline Protestants, like I'm Episcopalian, believe that the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, communion, whatever you call it, is in some special way the presence of Jesus. It's like saying because you can eat God in the Eucharist, that you shouldn't like eat normal food uh -huh. because like that pathway is only for God now. Like, 
Okay, yeah. well, you're not going to last very long. Right. Wow. Yeah, I feel like that is a good analogy. And the way that I have, um, and, 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 the, and the things we've discussed on the podcast about how we've grown in the way that we see ourselves as, you know, children of God, um, mm-hmm. and also um, being holders of, of like the divine within our, our bodies, within our souls mm-hmm. in and of itself, like that alone kind of um, makes very, you know, like makes very little sense to me. I think of Jesus mm-hmm. as friend, you know? Um, and so to think of Jesus as like, looking down on me or thinking of me as less than just doesn't add up with what we've been taught in scripture in and of itself. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Jesus was fully human and fully God. Mm -hmm. So being God didn't mean that he was any less human. And so it around that same that same thought process it doesn't make sense that all of a sudden like she can no longer like she can no longer have human children you know we talked several times in the podcast about how some of the like conservative in a bad way forms of christianity rely on uh a belief that God and humanity or God and creation are in some way opposed to each other or they're like in competition with each other. Like we might talk about a uh, Calvinist idea of like giving God glory as this kind of idea. Like, Oh, you have to say that everything good is not only from God, but only from God. And like, you're just garbage. Yep. Whereas if we don't view the divine, the human or the divine and the created as in competition with each other, like God doesn't have to whip out their dick for like a measuring contest. Yeah. Like they can be good and they can get glory by us partaking in or participating in that goodness. This feels like the same sort of thing. I agree. Like Jesus isn't diminished by having like biologically related brothers and sisters. When I think about even the way that Jesus relates to his mom in humility mm-hmm. around, like at some point Jesus needed disciplining, right? And Jesus needed to be taught how to live in the world mm-hmm. um, and respected and loved his mother, right? Like yeah. I think about um, the scripture uh, that that's around um the filling the wine at the wedding mm-hmm. and Jesus um, kind of questions his mom for a moment. Like, like I bet you can tell the story a little better, but, but it, Mary's kind of like, Hey, like Jesus can, can take care of us getting more wine. Like, <laughs> and Jesus is like, mom, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, do Every I have queer to? kid has had that moment yeah. where they're like called upon to perform in front of everybody at a family function. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then and then he kind of like straightens himself up and he's like, okay, no, I'm I'm gonna do this, you know, like, 
Um, and he does. And, and, and like, to me, that's such a, I don't, it feels like such a human interaction between mother and son, mm-hmm. you know, and the humility of that relationship makes me think that like he had the same approach to, um, his siblings, if he had siblings mm-hmm. and the same approach to even his, um, even his apostles, like, like the people that he called friends mm-hmm. and interacted with regularly. Like he was seen as a teacher in a lot of those situations. And you and I have been in that position where yeah. we've been teacher and friend. We're in that, those positions a lot right now. Mm-hmm. And it can be an interesting place to be, to be called up and asked, you know, how do I deal with this situation? And you just, you want to pass on your wisdom, but at the same time you love them and you want to hang out and you want to, you want to tell, um, dirty jokes and you just want to like <laughs> chill. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and I feel like that feels similar to the relationship that Jesus had with the apostles. And I think that comes from what feels true to me in the way that he started in his relationship with his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of that was passed on from his mom. Yeah. I feel like it's occurring to me in a new way how that passage illustrates what great faith Mary had. Mm. Like, I think one of the things that's going on in that passage is that in the Hebrew Bible, there are a lot of scriptures that talked about, um, like in the next age, in the age that the Messiah was supposed to inaugurate, that you'd never run out of wine, like it would flow from the mountaintops. And so Mary believes that Jesus is a Messiah and they run out of wine. And she goes to Jesus saying like, I know you're Messiah. Like, what's the deal here? And John presents this as Jesus' first miracle. Mm. It's like Mary believes that he can do something about it even before he's like manifested the sorts of powers that we're familiar with in the gospels. I think that's amazing. That's such a good point. And I feel like we can identify with that as children. I like, like, um, there's gotta be a moment like for me, right? Like my moment is, I remember how much when I went to college, I was thinking I need to have like a real job. Like I need to have a job that like I can, you know, depend on so that I can do some of the fun things I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up in a family that didn't have good, f- good financial security as I've talked about before. So mm-hmm. for me, that was a really important thing. And so my mom was really inspiring to me as a nurse. And so I wanted to become a nurse. I loved caring for people. And so I spent a semester doing all the prereqs to be able to do, um, go into nursing school. Mm-hmm. And my parents pulled me aside and said, I really feel like God's calling you to do music and mm-hmm. you need to focus on that. Um, and I was the one paying for myself through college. So I didn't, I needed to decide what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but it was incredible to have the support of my parents come and say like, Hey, you need to do this. Like this thing that feels like, um, not 
a dependable work path, not, a, <laughs> you know, um, to step away from that and step into this thing. Um, and, and they just had a lot of faith. Like mm. I would go months without, without playing guitar. And my dad would say, Hey, are you still writing? And like my parents just really had so much faith and and belief that I was going to use music to um, love people well and change the world. I just don't think even they knew to what scope of um, love and um, acceptance and providing home that I've been able to do even in the queer community you know they both mm -hmm. struggled with that um so it's it's cool to me that um mary had this faith and even she didn't have a full scope of what jesus was going to do just yet but she still believed um enough to to support and and encourage jesus to do this thing mm -hmm. i love that I think that like as much as I love a lot of traditional Christian theology, I feel like by departing from it some when it comes to Mary, we're offered a like a bigger Mary, like a more complicated, more human Mary. Yeah. Because like both the Catholic Church and the uh there's so many Orthodox churches. Uh, Orthodox, Orthodox and Coptic traditions. Okay, um, don't believe that Mary sinned at any point in her life. Oh, interesting! I didn't realize that. Uh, the Catholic Church will add on that that she was conceived sinless because they've got the whole like doctrine of original sin yeah. from Saint Augustine. Just like a lot of Protestant traditions have that um, conception <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> as well. But I feel like that flattens Mary out, even as she's presented in the Gospels. Because, mm -hmm. like, there's the submissive Mary of the Annunciation, there's like the badass revolutionary Mary of the Magnificat, there's the like super supportive, always in your corner Mary of the wedding at Cana that we've been talking about. But then there's the Mary who comes to Jesus along with his brothers, like trying to get him out of public ministry because they think he's saying crazy things. Right. Like somebody must have told Jesus family, like, come get your boy. He's talking crazy talk. And they went to go collect him. And Jesus is like, no. That, that happening that just makes me think of that analogy I made or that comparison, I guess, that I made to my life with my parents and their encouragement. Mm -hmm. Because as I've become like when I became a pastor, my mom, her response right away was like, Have you done the right schooling for that? Oof. I was like, Mom, you've been pastored by multiple men who didn't go to seminary. <laughs> it, did you ever question them and she was like uh, like what what <laughs> you didn't question them you never questioned their leadership mm -hmm. but you're questioning mine why is that you know instead right. of showing excitement or like 
it took her a while to come around to the idea of, um, of me leading worship again. And mm. she, she's excited about that. She wants that, but she can't fully in her scope of vision understand why I'm doing it mm. and, and like who I'm doing it for, you know, and has definitely um, attempted to correct that, you know, mm. oh, man, that is so I'm kind of identifying with Jesus hardcore right now. Hey, Lavender Mafiosas. As we continue to make fun, sex-positive, thoughtful queer Christian content, we're so pleased by how many of you invite us into your homes to spend some time with us each week. It's like we're part of the same queer, extended, chosen family. And I don't feel like we would really feel like family if I didn't beg you for money. So here goes. Uh, first, we really appreciate those of you who partner with us on Patreon already because we need your support to continue the work we're doing. And there are even more things that we want to do, like build a website, make Lavender Mafia merch, provide opportunities for community online, in person, and to make more podcast content for you all. With what's been going on in our country lately with new threats to queer health and safety all the time, it means more than ever to me to be doing this. And I really appreciate those of you who've partnered with us to make it possible for us to keep doing this. If you want to be one of these people, please consider going to patreon.com slash lavmafia and signing up to be one of our patrons. Thanks, and don't fuck it up. Yeah, I feel like a lot of us queer people have had that parent, the parent who thinks we're insane and need to just stop saying the things that we're saying. If my mom listened to this podcast, she might say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. But like... They, that's just because like, even though they believe that and they've fostered these talents within us, you know, um, this way of loving, um, loving people well, um, the Holy Spirit fostered it more and, and mm -hmm. grew it, um, and provided community to help us grow more, you and mm -hmm. I, you know, and other yeah. people within our community. And, um, it's gotten to the scope where our parents can't really wrap their heads around that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and their faith is being tested, you know, and I'm sure Mary's was tested, especially in that yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Mary at the wedding of Cana, that Mary that like fully believes in her kid, like beyond what she's even observed, she knows that he's capable of more. I feel like very few of us probably had, those kinds of experiences. Like I love my mom. She's great. Um, I don't think that she ever believed that I was capable of more than other people thought I was capable of or more than I thought that I was capable of. Like when I told her that I was starting like a career, sort of a stand up comedy career question mark At yes like you <laughs> do have a stand-up comedy career it's so weird like i have been paid so i'm technically a professional yes. comedian and i'm i'm still not used to it <laughs> and she was like i didn't think that you had that in you it's like okay yeah thanks mom i mean i didn't either but thanks mom <laughs> <laughs> the honesty of moms sometimes <laughs>
<laughs> Oof. Like, I love that we get both in Mary. Like, yeah. we get so many different sides of her. And, like, the last Mary we get in the Gospels is the Mary who's at the cross when Jesus is being crucified. One of the few people who hasn't fled for fear of their lives. Like, she's come so far in accepting, loving, trusting her son and his mission, the person that he is, that he's that she's one of few people who's willing to risk her life for it. And I love thinking about that as an image of a parent who kind of oscillates in their like acceptance or mm-hmm. affirmation of us, but like finally comes around in the end to be the sort of parent that any of us would want. Yeah. And isn't that like the most human version of Mary ever? Like that's mm-hmm. like everything we're talking about right now makes me think of my mom, like, mm. and how it's taken years for her to come around to being the one that's like defensive of Erica. If it ever seems like I'm having a hard time, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's it's interesting like my wife my mom still has a long way to go when it comes to affirming theology but Mm. um she knows that god has a purpose for me and has faith that i am on that path she doesn't understand it Mm -hmm. she hasn't attempted to try to understand it too much but she does have faith that there's a purpose And I feel like that's kind of where Mary lands, right? Yeah. And I don't know, that feels good to think of her that way. So it's interesting that she was thought of as this, like, well, the way that I was raised, like, as, you know, just this meek and mild, you know, like, support system. Right. To Jesus. Um, But, um, or thought of as, like, a perfect, like, uh, pure virgin <laughs> that that also seems unrealistic with the with all of the examples of uh, that they show of Mary in scripture yeah I I mean another thing that I have against the Mary ever virgin idea is I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense of like her own cultural context yeah like to have one kid and then stop, even when you believe that kid to be the Messiah, I just don't think fits with what we know about like the way that families are constituted in that period. Mm. And I think insofar as Mary herself seems to have wavered in her faith in Jesus, that I think it'd be too much to say that like, oh, Mary had such a firm and like unwavering belief that she just decided she was never going to have more kids because why bother? Mm-hmm. I guess don't think that that's the, the picture of Mary that's presented in the gospels. Like we have much more human and more relatable Mary by believing she wasn't like supernaturally 
kept from the possibility of sin. Yeah, I feel like uh, Ever Virgin Mary is a helicopter parent, and I don't, <laughs> I don't get that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Think about the like um, helicopter parents who only have one child. Oof. That kid often does not turn out great. No. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's that's the ever Virgin Mary version that I hear. I see, <laughs> and that's not what I see in Scripture. I feel like there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of allowing Jesus to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of giving Jesus Jesus space. Although I would yeah. love to be the fly on the wall for like the most mundane basic day in the life of Jesus and Mary, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like just imagining what, what that looks like. It'd probably be kind of tedious, right? Like they live normal human lives and they experience some exceptional things, but I think a lot of those exceptional things were written down for us. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Another thing that sometimes put forth as evidence that Joseph and Mary didn't have other kids is that in I think it's just in the gospel of John Jesus from the cross looks to John the disciple and says about Mary behold your mother and he says to Mary about John behold your son so even when he's like actively being murdered he still wanted to make sure that his mother was taken care of when he was gone. And that'd be natural to do if you're the only son and your mom didn't have other kids. But I think it's also natural to do when you're the oldest son of a lot of kids and you don't trust those other kids to take care of your mom. Yeah. Like, I feel like that fits better with the Jesus that we see rewriting familial lines like the in the times when uh the gospels talk about mary and jesus brothers come in to collect him he's like who are my mother and my brothers uh those who hear the will of god and do it like those who share my values like those are my real family and so he was looking at john and thinking like i can trust him to take care of my mom in a way that I can't trust my brothers who didn't seem for the most part to share his values. Uh, Jesus was throwing some shade, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking about Mary coming around as like being the mother that anybody would want. I think that makes a lot of sense of why a lot of queer Catholic Orthodox Episcopalians are drawn to Mary as a figure because she's like the mother that we wish that we had. I think also Mary's example shows us that we can be those kinds of parental figures for each other when we didn't have those ourselves. We talked about this so many times, like, I don't feel like we need to spell it out again, but like you can find family in the queer community that you didn't find, can't find, aren't finding at home. Mm. 
Yeah, in the queer community, we created so many different structures, even within structures, mm-hmm. in order to love each other well and care for each other. It's one of my favorite things about community. It's been really a treat to spend the last year and a half, two years, like actually introducing Mary as a figure in my mind and in my heart and Mm -hmm. able to, um, it's really helped me in envisioning um, Jesus's life as um, a real life and not just some cartoon version of what I've seen um, in uh, childhood books, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And it's been um, really a joy also to relate to Mary as um as a you know, fellow human but as a fellow woman and um to be inspired by her badassery mm-hmm. um and i really appreciate that i appreciate that you've been the facilitator of some of those situations mm-hmm. and um yeah it's been it's been really cool i've really enjoyed um the i've enjoyed this conversation but i've just really enjoyed the that aspect of, of learning about Mary over the past couple of years. Me too. And I love the way that thinking about Mary gives us more insight into what Jesus life was like, like you were saying, like going beyond this sort of cartoon version. And as we go beyond that cartoon version and start filling in the details, like a lot of queer resonances come Mm -hmm. out like, Mm -hmm. Oh, Jesus absolutely knows what it feels like to, like not be believed in by his family, by mm. those who should believe in him the most. Mm. That's a really good point. I think something that that happens in everyone's like life often is that when someone passes away, um, we tend to like put them on a pedestal in a way that we don't acknowledge any of their uh, wrongdoing or any of their mm-hmm. mistakes. And I think when you have someone as magnificent as Mary, the mother of, of, and the, of the son of God, that this is, um, just this, this huge, amazing person. We tend to kind of like pretend that we don't see those human elements mm-hmm. and it's really nice to take that back and be right. able to relate to her on, on this very, human level you know Mm -hmm. Um, and not put her up on a pedestal in a way that she's far away from us and that's and that's hard to do when she's such an icon in the church and literally on pedestals in (laughs) churches you know (laughs) yeah i mean she can present for us the possibility of somebody who like might have started off strong and then like kind of fucked up in the middle and then ended really powerfully. And I think a lot of us have had really rocky parts of our lives. Like I'm sort of just coming out of mine slash might still be in it. <laughs> and the idea that I might, it might still be possible for me to be like a disciple of Jesus that might end up at, the foot of the cross in the sort of radical way that Mary and John were gives me a lot of hope. 
I think something else that I just thought of, um, and it's probably just because I'm not, I'm not a parent, but it, it just hit me was that I think about how much, um, peace it can bring to someone who has lost a child before mm. they passed. Like your children are not supposed to die before you do. Right. Mm-hmm. That's generally an understood idea. And so like to think about parents who've lost their children and, and being able to relate to Mary in that way, like that's such a powerful um, way of relating to the mother of the son of God. Like that must be a, an, another level of being able to relate. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Like as a, a parent, it's kind of choking back tears because it's just so natural as a parent to want to protect your kid from everything in the world. Like it's really hard, but necessary to learn to let go a bit, not all the way. Mm-hmm. Like you always want to protect your kid, but I feel like at some point or another parents have to probably lots of points. We have to reckon with the fact that like, for our kids to become who they need to be, like there's going to be suffering involved, like no matter how, how hard we try. And like, if we could protect them from everything, they would become like the kind of people who haven't suffered at all. Mm-hmm. They'd become insufferable. Mm-hmm. They would become like spoiled assholes. Like nobody wants that for their kid like nobody what trump wants a trump jr yep unfortunately for most of us like our that road to maturity is not going to end in like a literal cross but for a lot of parents too many parents it has and well yeah i mean to grapple with the idea that the purpose for which your son came ends or starts depending on how you see it here at the death mm-hmm. of your son. Like that's, I wonder how much her faith was tested after he passed. Like that's the kind of conversation or the kind of like stuff I would enjoy being clued into. Like, mm-hmm. If there was a book of Mary, if Mary just had a journal that she kept, I would love to have read it. Mm-hmm. I'd love it if at that point she like got it all and she was like, I ah, don't worry. He'll be right back. Right. <laughs> we just know that's not true. It does seem very unlikely. Yeah. Jesus often gave like really obscure hints about his own resurrection. Like he told the disciples like, pretty blatantly and like they didn't even get it and i don't know that he told his mom that much i mean wouldn't it just be like a, a queer kid not to tell his parents the most important stuff yeah <laughs> seriously seriously i feel like we touched on some mommy and daddy issues here and i want to say that um if you have a really open wound um, 
that has to do with parents. Um, we're here, and we would love to talk to you. Um, I personally know, like, my wound isn't, um, not to diminish any kinds of wounds, but, like, I've done mm-hmm. a lot of healing. But even there are some days that just it it hits hard mm-hmm. thinking about um thinking about those issues. So I just wanna offer um offer like ourselves in some way if you need to have um have a substitute for the day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um or you need to be encouraged. Um we have um done that for our close community. Um, and it's been uh, really helpful for both of us, mm-hmm. like healing on both sides um, for um, the 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 kids, the children in our community, <laughs> um, the queer the the queer the queer youngins, um, and in ourselves. So, see, I just wanted to say that I I, I didn't necessarily uh, know how we were gonna how it was gonna go in this conversation, but I. I think it's a good thing to point out. Yeah, I love thinking about us in at least as potential like queer big brothers, big sisters, mothers, fathers mm-hmm. to babies of faith out there who don't have that either at home or maybe in their church either. Like I love if this podcast and everything we do with it we develop like a digital home for homeless queer people of faith. Yeah. I know we've recently been talking about kind of our dreams, like in our last, um, I think it was second to last episode, um, episode 19. I think we talked about like, kind of like our really big dream for lavender mafia of like building a house that is, uh, fully accessible for people. Mm -hmm. But before we can do that, like we wanted to, um, build a online community, like a place for, people to come and um and have access to us have access to each other really like have access to family and and discuss fun things like about our topics but also like the hard shit that we all deal with Mm -hmm. yeah we just started a community page for the podcast on facebook so check instagram and twitter for links to that for some like social media kind of cross breeding <laughs> sorts of stuff. And our hope for that community page is that, I don't know, that it'll become what our community wants and needs. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. our hope for it is for it to become what you want and need for it to become. So come hang out, come help us build this thing. What's it called? So we can search it on Facebook. It's called Lavender Mafia Podcast Community. Awesome. And it is public. So we invite anybody to be a part of that who wants to be. Don't have to be queer. Don't have to be a Christian. Um, We get that a lot of people are not out in their context. Um, So if you have a Facebook alt, you can join with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this. This has been something that we've wanted to do from the beginning, but didn't quite make sense. And now we have enough uh, regular listeners um, that uh, for some reason, 
really enjoy listening to our podcast <laughs> and listening to us banter and talk about all of our trauma um, back and forth. <laughs> and um, I just, um, I really feel so blessed um, to do this and, and excited to, to really get to know some of you all um, more, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, uh, definitely head on over to Instagram or, or Twitter at lab mafia, L A V M A F I A. And, um, and you'll be able to find a link there if you have a hard time finding it on Facebook. Um, and also if helping us build a digital home for queer people of faith, queer people of no faith, non-queer people who want a place to belong and talk about what they need to talk about. I hope you'll consider partnering with us going to patreon.com slash labmafia, L-A-V-M-A-F-I-A, and helping us to do this. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's our passion. We love to to be here with you and, um, and you know, give people entertainment and, and hope. Mm-hmm. Right? All right, beautiful babes. Be fierce. Keep the faith. And don't fuck it up. Our amazing music is written and produced by Evan Coles of Springwood Productions. Speaking of Springwood, I just want to thank them for recording, mixing, and producing our audio. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be happening. Springwood is made up of passionate creatives who are really easy to work with and professional, and they really know their stuff. So if you need anything like video or audio production or they can really do anything to help your music or business. Like they got me Taco Bell one time, for God's sake. So go check them out at springwoodproductions.com. 